0: Welcome to Category 5 Technology TV. It's so great to have you here with us this week. It's Sasha and I, and we're gonna be learning about the logistics that go into, like the very uh, things that happen behind the scenes. The stuff that we don't always think about when it comes to retail shipping and when we order for the stocking stuffers that are coming. Well, we expect everything to get here really, really quickly. And there's a lot that goes into that. We don't always think about it. We're gonna be learning from one of the largest software companies in the world. Uh, As far as logistics goes and we're gonna be learning about how that's done and some of the things that are to come from the logistics software industry also, we're gonna be talking about uh, Ways that we can recycle Keurig k-cups and be a little bit more environmentally friendly incidentally a very good stocking stuffer for us as well and a massively powerful USB battery device to charge our phone even our like our any device like i i can't believe how powerful this portable little device is you want to stick around don't go anywhere Recordings are trusted only to solid-state drives by Kingston Technology. Revive your computer with improved performance and reliability over traditional hard drives with Kingston SSDs.
1: Category 5 TV streams live with Telestream Wirecast and Nimble Streamer. Tune in every week on Roku, Kodi, and other HLS video players. For local showtimes, visit Category5.tv.
0: Category5.tv is a member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Cat5.tv slash TPN and the
1: International
0: Association of Internet Broadcasters. Cat5.tv slash IAIB. Welcome to the show, everybody. Great to have you here. I'm Robbie Ferguson.
1: I'm Sasha Rickman.
0: And before we get into the show this week, I want to remind you make sure you subscribe to us on YouTube, click that bell, and that's going to make sure that you get the latest notifications anytime we post a new and shiny video. That's going to send you a little push notification to let you know.
1: Yeah, it works for, very well for me.
0: Very, so. very helpful. Yeah. Uh, this week, well, I mean, we've got an interview for you. It's an interesting industry to talk about, mm-hmm. one that we never think about. Right. Logistics. True. It is the season, folks. We're all expecting our next day deliveries, our two-day prime shipping, and uh, logistics is, uh, is what it comes down to um, with the Christmas season upon us, and we really expect to have a good supply of product. And we expect it to get here fast. Immediately. I even much. know because my son's birthday is just before Christmas. And so we're like looking through and planning things out. And, and it's like, okay, well, if we leave it to the last minute, we really, really need it to get here fast. Um, Dan Cassis is here with us. He's the CEO of one of the world's biggest logistics companies. Uh, it's called Route for Me. And he joins us this week to discuss the magic that goes into making sure that our parcels arrive in time. Dan, thank you for being here on the show.
2: Thanks for having me. And just to clarify, it's uh, one of the world's most biggest uh, logistics software companies.
0: Okay. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's all very complicated, folks. We're going to learn about it here, and Dan's going to help us out with that. Uh, Dan, so if you could, um, explain to us what R- route for me does
2: uh, in sure. general. Sure. So what we do is we help businesses make a profit. Uh, that's kind of the, our main objective the logistics space and any business that is intensive in the logistics space yeah it's a very cutthroat business margins are tight when we look at what is a business that has logistics intense needs it's pretty much any business that has a person uh, visiting their clients for any reason Um, whether it's a field service call a delivery a pickup pool cleaning anything that that requires a human being to leave a building mm-hmm. that is in today's uh, market a logistics business and so uh, many businesses don't consider themselves traditionally logistical businesses but in fact the shift from customers coming both b2b customers and b2c customers coming to a business place of business now the reverse is happening where there's an expectation that everyone comes to the customer.
0: Mm.
2: Uh, but with that, you get much higher complexity, yeah. much higher huh. cost, and you also have a much higher risk because you now have a lot of people out there driving, prone to accidents, mm. going to people's homes, uh, putting stuff in their fridge potentially or their garage. And the, the compounding effect of all those risks also has... Uh, of cost that most businesses need to understand. The, ama- the, the
0: crazy thing that's coming to my mind is that with the higher cost that Dan's describing, yeah, we all as consumers are expecting free shipping. Free next day. Exactly. Free two-day shipping. Like, so, like, with the evolution of online e-commerce, uh, we'll call it e-commerce, it's kind of an old name for it, but realistically like most of my shopping is happening online these days mm-hmm. so how have you seen things evolving as far as the logistics go dan
2: so when you look at online shopping when i guess the the biggest um, split has been i would say the larger mega corporations and then everyone else yeah so we look at the mega corporations these are the ones who have almost unlimited funds to invest whether it's a rent a bill or a buy model and they'll go out and uh, what they've been doing is identifying opportunities to integrate across different systems
1: mm-hmm. so
2: this there's a trend that we're now seeing we're called multi-echelon optimization which basically means you have lots of systems you have lots of people upstream and downstream in supply chain and uh they don't all play nice and they don't all talk to each other and they don't all talk to each other in the same language. Mm -hmm. And even if they did, some of the systems are systems that are not real time. And so if you want answers on a shopping cart page and you want to know how much something should cost to ship or accelerated shipping or one-hour shipping or even 15-minute shipping, (laughs) you can't compute all that if your system takes 10 minutes to plan a route yeah. for your fifty drivers and so um, the biggest change is now they're integrating all of these different capabilities so that they can create um, compelling offers to the to the customer yeah and then actually do what's called demand shaping and change the behavior of the consumer to do things that are more profitable for the organization oh. by let's say, Here's a coupon for fifty bucks if we can deliver it to you three days later because we're already going to be in your neighborhood.
0: Oh, or smart!
2: It's going to cost you the real deliver uh, cost uh, to to make this delivery is two hundred fifty dollars, but because you're a VIP customer, you spend so much money with us, we're gonna we know ahead of time that it's profitable enough for us to promise it. But at that level, we estimate there's only three to five companies worldwide that do that. Yeah, everyone else is kind of. Doing little bits of pieces of it, mm-hmm. and when I say that, I mean doing it at scale I don't, I don't mean like you know just doing it in downtown Manhattan, but yeah, yeah, either nationally or internationally
0: sure and and with the holiday season upon us how uh, how does that change the logistics industry and and how things work behind the scenes
2: so because the logistics logistics and the last mile and final mile. And the first mile, all these things have one thing in common. And that thing in common is for the foreseeable future, there are human beings involved in that, in the fulfillment part of it. Mm-hmm. And humans get tired. They call out sick. They quit. They get better offers. Um, their car breaks down. If it's a personal vehicle, and it, as well as a, a company vehicle, accidents happen. Mm-hmm. So what happens with, especially during these uh, holiday season, uh, influx of of parcel as well as gifts as well as people ordering flowers and gift baskets from local um, shops, whatever it may be that they 're ordering when you can have the world 's best software giving you the most optimal uh, work plans and routes optimized yeah, but if their humans aren 't playing ball or they 're just not around there 's no uh, there's no way that you can actually take you know, leverage that technology. Mm.
0: Sasha, I think back to when we were kids mm-hmm. and how we had the Sears catalog, and it was like mail order everything, right? Dan, do you remember those days when everything was mail order? And we didn't, we didn't expect... 2-day shipping. No, no, that no. that would be mind-blowing. That would be something out of fantasy. Right. Realistically, like you were ordering in November to hopefully get it in time for your December gift-giving. True. Right? Um
1: but in contrast, now it's aggravating if I can't get it in two days. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Which is yeah. Horrible. Really. And yeah. we expect it cheap or free. Um, so Dan, like, how does like the consumer mindset of needing everything so quickly now, like, so we we just expect it instantaneously. I'm yeah. blown away that half of my Amazon orders, just to use one example, come in next day. That's true. And two days is acceptable. Anything beyond two days unacceptable, right? How has the consumer been like just absolutely flipping this on its head?
2: There are some companies out there that are willing to spend a fortune to to scale rapidly up and front load the growth yeah and they want to do that because they know that once everyone else is out of business, they could control whatever they want however they want and so some of the decisions being made and some of the things happening that um, are enabling these organizations to do same day or next day delivery, I'm yeah. um, at a huge cost that is severely unprofitable. Oh. And it's especially unprofitable without the right software and technology. And um, I think the fundamental difference is that it's very, with the exception of two or three global players you don't have the sufficient density it's unsustainable to keep going um,
0: Hmm. and
2: making some of these promises because it's not just about deliveries it's it's about pickups it's about reverse logistics it's about
0: sure
2: all the stuff happening out in the field and what we do in terms of what has changed is that we had we had a client they were doing a million transactions a day in one geography -hmm. To do a million transactions a day without using cloud computing and your own mapping cluster and your own navigation systems that you control Mm -hmm. um, is almost—it was completely impossible to do that. I mean, Mm -hmm. some of our mapping clusters—you know—have terabytes of memory and thousands of cores. You could do these problems now in um, in in seconds or minutes. That was totally impossible five years ago without using. Scale out elastic cloud computing.
0: Wow. Uh, so I, I like I'm hearing like loss leader comes to mind, and like so these big companies using loss leaders in order to get you to shop through them just for the unbelievable logistics that they're providing. Uh, I I can't claim Dan to to really understand the intricacies of the logistics that are involved. Like no, as I say, like as a consumer. I just expect my parcel to arrive in a timely fashion. I need it to be here on the date that it's expected and, and not be late. And, but I don't really understand how that works. Right. It's kind of mind-bending to me because it's insane to think that I can order something from this multinational company that has it here to me two days later. Um, what would you think, Dan, is probably the m- most misunderstood by consumers uh, as far as how the logistics works?
2: So there's a lot of um, pre-staging and pre-planning that goes into it, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of inefficiency in that process. So I think I'll give you a few examples. Let's say you, every time you add something to your shopping cart, there's an 80% chance that you're going to buy it. So companies have now gotten smart enough that by learning uh, your behavior as a consumer, Mm -hmm. when you add it to your cart and you're one of the people who uh, will typically commit to purchasing what you've added, they'll actually start the shipment on a big truck or a line haul uh, route from one of their distribution centers to the final distribution center depot before I ever buy it. No. Oh.
1: Are you kidding me? That's crazy.
0: Oh my goodness. Now I
1: feel bad when I just leave things in my cart because <laughs> I do that a lot.
2: I'm totally adding a bunch
0: <laughs> of things to my cart oh, just I'm for fun. Fine.
2: So, so they'll, so some of them will do that, and then wow. when you order it, it's not coming from the middle of nowhere. It's coming from somewhere. So unbelievable. Another, another type of uh, strategy they might use is on the e-commerce side. Hmm. Um is let's say there is a certain number of, of you know, seasonal skews or types of things that people order most frequently or most often. So they'll have those obviously distributed in various regions based on the historical demand, the anticipated demand, plus perhaps what they call uh, uh, on the demand side, detecting what people, demand sensing. Uh So if they're sensing that some banners are clicking really well, it goes back to our multi-echelon optimization, Mm -hmm. linking the ad campaigns to the shopping carts, to the fulfillment side. What ends up happening is you get, you understand what's happening early on. So you can recruit those drivers early on or subcontract before the competition does. And I think in general, what's most misunderstood is that I think there's this uh, again, with the exception of two or three global players, almost nobody builds their own logistics software systems. Mm-hmm. It's all mostly rented from someone else, and then when it's not rented, it's mostly run on like a, a spreadsheet. So some of the you know you have companies that are generating hundreds of millions, or billions of dollars in revenue, they're running on spreadsheets or they're running on a combination of consumer maps that they're using for commercial purposes yeah, and it's difficult for the executives to understand what's happening because they're not in the day-to-day operations. <laughs> and so you have the operations people who are, it's difficult for them to articulate uh, what they need and then you have the executives who don't really understand what's happening on the ground. So that's uh, certainly an- another misunderstood challenge in logistics.
0: Wow. I have to admit, Sasha and Dan and audience, <laughs> I, I almost feel guilty because I have about 200 things sitting in my Amazon cart. Oh, do you? I do. Because yes. I, I use it like bookmarks. Oh. And now I'm feeling like, okay, how much of the logistics have I impacted just by... Bookmarking this product like should I be using wish lists or something like that? Uh, We are speaking with uh, Dan Costas He's the uh, CEO of one of the world's biggest uh, Logistics software companies. Mm -hmm. It's called route for me and we're learning about how the logistics work in this uh, incredible world that we live where it's really like uh, coming out of the 80s and 90s I feel like it's it's almost sci-fi how quickly we expect our deliveries to happen how right. we dreamed of being able to place orders on the computer which yeah. was new to me as a child uh, but being able to place your orders online and and now that's like that's where most of my orders come from yeah. are from online and it's the these amazing logistics and and all of the work that goes on behind the scenes that we don't necessarily think of that makes it all happen Dan I think about how the technology has changed and you know I'm I'm a bit old school I grew up in the 80s and so I saw computers a- and the evolution of them and now you know my kids are growing up in an era where artificial intelligence and machine learning is actually a thing this is not something from sci-fi this is really happening is this something that is currently impacting logistics are you seeing that there is a shift to artificial intelligence machine learning in the logistics industry
2: i think um going back to your previous question when the uh, machine learning model would know that a consumer like you um doesn't buy things in the shopping cart so incorporating that type of technology um, would help them uh, avoid wasted resources. Mm-hmm. And then for the other individuals who actually commit to what they add, they would use that technology would indicate um, according indica- indicate that they want and what they want accordingly. And I think that um, we're at the very early stages of ML and, and AI to and I, I would say that it's the very beginning of the hype cycle yeah. when it comes to what it can do. And from a, um, a tech perspective and a programming perspective, it's a lot of uh, really scientific, really statistical and analytical work. You have to look at a lot of data. Mm-hmm. It's not that kind of uh, exotic type of you know thing that, people might expect that are happening. Like you mentioned in some of these sci-fi futuristic movies, and it's more about just getting access to tons of data. And you have to be big enough to have that data. Yeah. Have be big enough to then experiment with that data, do multivariate experience uh, experiments, do all kinds of tests on uh, different cohorts of users and how they're being affected. Mm-hmm. And I would just say that a lot of companies in our industry and in many industries in general are kind of, are taking advantage of the fact that machine learning and artificial intelligence are now buzzwords and autonomous now part of that lexicon.
0: Sure. Yeah. And
2: just adding those initials or acronyms to um, to their product lines when in fact what we've seen is even without a machine learning and AI. These businesses can, in some cases, we've seen 200, 300% improvement on, uh, on their business. Wow. And the big challenges of ML and AI is that it does things that are statistically significant mm-hmm. or that the computer can understand using all the data that it has, but then explaining it to the human being and right. to the executive why some of these decisions are being made. It's very difficult. and So again, the technology is there. Yeah. But then, explaining to people why the te- why it decided to do certain things the way it decided because let's say traffic flow and a specific street and a specific day of the week when schools in season oh. and the temperatures below 24 degrees and the delivery person's going to walk really slowly. That's all the stuff that, com- that we incorporate into the model. And we still don't even that still doesn't even need uh, machine learning or AI. So when you add that additional level, it just yeah. becomes very difficult for uh, the end user to understand some of these decisions. And so it's got to be done very carefully. But when it is done carefully, the results are going to you're going to get much more accurate predictions about <laughs> everything that the business does wow
1: i love this now i know that i'm i'm taking this into the scope of like what i experience day to day but i go from client's house to client's house in my job and i am given just straight 10 minutes travel time, no matter what, no matter what the weather, no matter what the time of day is like, if whatever the traffic or if be, there's
0: construction in Barry, Ontario, I get
1: 10 minutes. Yeah. So I really just need you to talk to my boss, Dan and talk about, <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, the system, our system detects things like some buildings, no elevator. You got to go five stories. Oh, oh yes. wow. And then, the, and some legacy systems will penalize drivers. Um, saying, hey, why'd you spend 22 minutes at this location? Right. It's supposed to be it's one item. But their system doesn't know. It hasn't tagged that this a uh, location and vertical market and all of it. So these are, and then all of a sudden you're, you're firing or penalizing <laughs> drivers and there's driver shortage when you don't have the right data. Isn't it
0: interesting to think that the very technology that people are afraid are going to take jobs is, is actually in, a, in essence protecting a job yeah. by giving the data that's necessary for them to understand dan can you explain to us like just briefly uh you you mentioned as we're talking about ai machine learning that it's still at a a fairly early stage and we understand that but can you like look into the future for us a little bit and just kind of see where things are going to be going over the next couple of years as far as those technologies go
2: well i think what you want to do is use them um you there's you can incorporate into almost any use case. For examples being that there's a lot of evidence that if you send a specific person that works for you, yeah. to the same client over and over that your customer retention may improve. But then how mm-hmm. do you determine the compatibility of which person yeah. likes to see which other person? Or uh, we have drivers, for example, in different cohorts of some of them, like to work in the suburbs where they don't interact with many people hmm. because they're very introverted. And then you have others who want to be constantly interacting hmm. with people. So they want to do the business to business stuff Yeah, in the downtown. And so using the, you can sit there all the time and you can tag things and wow. you can do all that extra manual labor, but why not use this machine learning technology as an example of matching that's unreal. Uh, the right people,
0: the right driver. We're basically talking about like machine learning saying, oh, well, Sasha would do really well with this particular customer. Exactly. And Robbie would do really well with this particular customer. So let's send them out accordingly yeah. and improve our turnaround, improve our customer loyalty, which is really, right. I mean, these days and, and certainly in retail, it's, it's something that, that we're all concerned with customer loyalty like what's gonna keep this customer coming back to me when there are the big companies that are pulling their business away by loss leaders uh, right. so that like to use AI for that is just that's just astonishing uh, Route4Me, of course, at Route4Me.com. Dan, can you share with us a little bit? Because you know, some of our viewers have retail companies. Uh, some of our viewers um, provide services that could be fulfilled through logistics application and software to be able to drive that uh, to to improve their customer loyalty, their their flow of business. How can route for me help um, our viewers and, and retailers and, and basically just anyone who falls into that kind of customer uh, base for you?
2: Well, what, what we typically see in terms of the segmentation of customers is the, what we call dynamic routing and then we call it recurring routing. And most businesses fit, let's say, 90% of their transactions into one of those two buckets. -hmm. Dynamic routing businesses have routes that change almost every day. There could be service call industries. It could be um, parcel delivery. It could um, anything where the workload changes dynamically Mm -hmm. or in waves, like four times a day. You got your eight a.m. shift, (laughs) noon shift, four p.m. shift, and your night shift. Um, And then you have your recurring routes, and your recurring routes are the pool cleaning people who want their pool cleaned every other Monday, but twice before their relatives visit them and one more time after their relatives visit them. So the third one being the hybrid of the first two. And so what customers are encouraged to do is to load up their customer list and they could synchronize from their QuickBooks, it could synchronize from whatever CRM system they're using. uh, And then they set their schedules or they upload their files or they import their orders from an order management system or point of sale system. Yeah. And a system like ours will then take the physical and geographical locations of those customers, plus the available uh, workers that the people have or subcontractors, Yeah. and then it will say, okay, go here at 8 a.m., go here at 9 a.m., yeah. and so on and so forth. And then <laughs> by day of the week, it'll curate every single thing they have to do so that if you do have to send a manager once a month and a regional manager once a quarter to your customer, it can orchestrate all of that automatically. Wow! And then you you can actually keep track of where the driver was uh, down to every 10 seconds. The app will tell tell you where they were, when they got there, get a signature, get a picture confirmation. So it really protects the business mm-hmm. as well from uh, bad customers. Because there's there's a lot of customers out there saying, "You didn't do the work, or sure. you broke it, or it came broken." Wow. So, this is a probably just as good or better than insurance policy because it provide it provides the ability to evidence all the work that hmm. was done, any type of work that was done. Wow. And then, uh, if there if it exposes that there's a bad employer subcontractor, then that's also a form of protection uh-huh. because. You, you fixed that problem early on instead of it going on for months or years. So, Dan,
0: now up until the point, like this very point, I've been skewing this interview toward and our discussion toward retail. Right. Because that's that's what I think of when I think about logistics and especially at this time of year because I'm thinking about all the orders that I'm placing for my kids, yeah. right? And all yeah. the stockings that I have to fill.
1: But it's more than that.
0: But I'm in a services company. Like I'm providing IT services and I have staff and team players that are in the field providing it services and and on-site service for for support customers and msp customers who are paying for service on a monthly basis so are you saying that that route for me is going to not only assist with the retailers and and that kind of logistics shipping logistics but also with the support and services industries
2: for sure and in fact from a, on the software side, on the sell side of the software, Mm -hmm. we almost look at parcel as a dying business. And when I say a dying business, I mean, for the software providers and that there's very few companies that are actually at scale with sufficient density Mm -hmm. to continue doing parcel deliveries. There's probably five to 10 of them at the most. And the top three are so vertically integrated that, um, there is very little room for anyone besides them to actually do the fulfillment Mm -hmm. and still make a a reasonable profit for it to be worth their time. So what that means is in fact that for parcel, it's not that big, it's not that interesting. But what about a refrigerator? That you're not gonna send that by any courier. Uh, You're gonna send that potentially from a local, on a box truck. Mm -hmm. So that's where it makes sense. Furniture delivery, that e-commerce of bulky items Mm -hmm. is where things are going to really start to heat up because you, those are expensive. They're heavy. You need a special vehicle. The vehicle needs special equipment. People need to be trained on the equipment. Mm -hmm. And then you have to match up the vehicle height potentially with the loading dock height, if you're doing a B2B delivery, Mm -hmm. so you, so that. You're sending the right vehicle to the right place based on does it have uh, a lift in the back? Does it does it have sure, a yeah, yeah, yeah. storage space? Yeah, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Is the so, is
0: the driver uh, equipped and, and insured and and allowed to drive the forklift in order to lift this device? Exactly. Yeah. So
2: and they or, or do they need a body driver in addition to them? So mm-hmm. because it's a team lift and it's heavy. So there's a lot of a lot of moving parts, but we're skewing more towards that the next. Ten to twenty years are going to be more about actually field service, yeah. field operations, field sales, field marketing, and less in, on uh, delivering boxes and parcels, mm-hmm. and more on the bigger items and the service services. Okay.
0: So route4me.com, and that's the number 4 mm-hmm. route for me.com you're gonna learn all about dan's company uh so it sounds like this could benefit even a, a, a small it firm such as mine yeah where we're sending people into the field and and i need to be able to like imagine being able to allow machine learning i mean so many thoughts are going through my mind here dan to allow machine learning to plan out the roots and the the support for the it team right to maximize productivity i mean they're getting paid by the hour to be in the office
1: Exactly. Yes. I have I said aloud today at work. Mm -hmm. I wish a computer could do this because yeah, just like plan
0: my route so that I can like maximize productivity,
1: right? I feel so bad for the people in the office who when a client calls in and needs to change one appointment, it kind of domino affects everything. Well, if that that was just inputted in and a computer said, okay, well, now you're not going to see this client at this time, but you're going to see these three other clients kind of staggered in a different way. And everything fits, yeah. right? That
0: We're talking very different industries here. These yeah. are three different industries we've yeah. talked about. We've got IT services, which is me. We've got uh, personal support worker services yeah, that's and caring me. for the elderly, which is mm-hmm. Sasha. And, and retail as well exactly dan can you share with us just quickly so we know route dot me.com is where to go to find out more information is there a particular methodology that you prefer or that would work really well for our viewers who are thinking hey i'd like to know more about this and how route for me services could help to improve the logistics of my company what's the best method to to pursue that
2: so they're the primarily one of the i would say transformative things has happened in the industry is that probably two or three organizations like ours have what we call a self-service trial. The remaining companies are continuing to sell legacy software on-premises um, that is just at this point too expensive to rewrite and to put on the cloud. And so what we encourage people to do is to take a free test drive of the software. They sign up, they could use Google SSO You don't even have to fill out a form. You have a seven day trial. We have a marketplace, all our modules are there. You pick whatever you think your company needs. It's all broken up by and unbundled by module. So you only pay for what you need. And then you use the trial for seven days. You can upload routes, you can share them with a driver. You could even put in your customer's phone number and the system will notify them that there's a person coming, (laughs) show them on a map where that vehicle is you can control how soon you want to show them so that they don't rob your car. If you've got something valuable on <laughs> it. So, you know, show it only once around the corner. And that, so that's one way is good thought. You, the good other thought. way is you, that's more for the team. I would say two or more people we're going to use it. If it's an indi- for individual use, like a prosumer or a uh, sole proprietor, we have the mobile apps. The mobile apps have 90% of the functionality of the web app. They're uh, top five or top 10 highest grossing navigation apps globally hmm. uh, in both app stores for the last 10 years. You can get them the mobile app. Again, it's a free trial. You can import route uh, the addresses, plan stops, do whatever you want. And then it, when your business matures enough that you need multi-driver, multi-day routing, et cetera, then you just go to the web plan. So there's a, an entry point for every, uh, stage of a, of a small business and mm-hmm. a mid, mid-sized business and then, uh, and, then you just, and then there's a third one, if you do have a larger organization let's say hundreds or thousands of people and uh, you need a more hands-on and more consultative type of approach, then just use the contact form and tell us about your use case, your unique needs and then we help you figure out, is that something we have off the shelf do we just need to customize things a little bit and uh, we work one-on-one with organizations that have unique needs. And today was another example that we had a client um, who wants to optimize the routes, not by distance, not by time, but by the amount of money they're paying per ton of what they're moving. Yeah, And their contracts are structured in a way where they they're built by the distance to the last destination and so they want to completely adjust their routes based on how their their contracts are structured and mm-hmm. which are contrary to what most people feel is the optimal but for them it's optimal it's not about time or distance it's about weight per ton to the yeah. final destination
0: what's that going to cost me yeah yeah very cool very adaptive to various industries I right. love that and realistically the logistics industry is changing and, and we know that um, like IT industries are changing and uh, the ability to provision product is like that's all changing and very very rapidly I think machine learning and AI has some to do with that and so as businesses we have to kind of stay a, a ahead of that curve. Right. So we need companies that are already ahead of the curve to help us to be able to provision what our customers need, which is the logistics in order to provision them with the services that they're demanding. Right. And and I need to be able to maximize the the staff hours. I need to be able to maximize uh, um, the the ability to get product out while minimizing cost. As you're mentioning, like the cost per ton. Well, you know, how can we minimize our cost per ton? and and maximize like how much can we get out in a single shipment um so we look at services like route so route and the number four me.com and dan we appreciate your time uh today and and sharing with us about your service and and um we look forward to uh to all that's to come and and it's really really interesting to see how um the logistics industry is really being shaped by technology itself i mean that's the driving factor here so we need to stay on top of it you can visit routeforme.com to find out more dan thank you for your time thanks cheers we do have to take a really quick break when we return we're going to be looking at a portable charger that is so incredibly powerful it's going to blow your mind but it's not going to blow your wallet stick around uh-huh. Back everyone, this is Category Five Technology TV Sasha. Do you use a smartphone? Yes. Do you use like Bluetooth headphones? Yes. Any other chargeable devices? What do you what do you have to charge? My kids are like, they've got their action cams. Yeah. They're constantly charging those. My Fitbit. Through portable chargers, I'm thinking.
1: My Fitbit. Fitbit. Switch.
0: Oh, that's an interesting point.
1: Uh what else do I charge? Yeah, Nintendo
0: Switch is USB C.
1: Yes. What else do I uh most, yeah, my I mean I guess my dash cam, but yeah. usually that's in my that car. That
0: comes off of the twelve volt. Yeah. yeah.
1: But if but, I wanted to take it outside of the car, I would need to keep power on it if I wanted to use it
0: for mm. anything
1: else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay.
0: All right. Interesting that you mentioned the switch. Yes. And I'm gonna co- I, I wanna circle back to that. Okay. Because typically a portable charger doesn't have enough power to power something like a switch. Right. But what if I could tell you <laughs> the, the, the rav power okay I've, I've been really impressed with rav power folks
1: rav power
0: what did that do when i hit that down it made quite a noise cat5.tv slash portable is where you're going to find this yeah rav power they they make the batteries that we use in most of our lighting rigs here at the studio and everything else mm-hmm. um but what is really really cool about what they've got with uh with this particular power bank which i'm going to get into the box should i get into the box yes. is a power bank that is an insane amount of power are you ready for this yes 26,800 milliamp hours
1: can you okay.
0: 26,000 break that down to 800 me. milliamp hours what is that okay. do you want me to break that down okay yes. so i'm actually just going to jump into the box here
1: <laughs> break down the box and it's break not down that. it's not
0: any bigger yeah. than my traditional like power yeah. brick I'm going to push the button and see if it's charged. Did it come with a charge? It did. The lights light up. So I can actually see that. This particular power brick, Sasha. Yes. It has two iSmart ports. That is like fast charge. It has a USB type C. Okay. And it has an input port, which is USB micro. So that's for charging. Feel that. Oh, yeah. What else is in the box? Okay, let's quickly get in the box. Did I mention 26,800 milliamp hours? So I want to put that into context for a second. Please. This will power a MacBook MacBook Pro. This will charge your MacBook Pro, and it fits in your pocket. It fits in your your duffel bag or your laptop bag. Oh, this is like a a nice little carrying case. A fancy carrying case for it. They've they've thought of everything RavPower. Uh, That's a USB micro cable to charge that device. So that allows you to charge it from your standard USB output. This is another USB micro. So I guess you could plug this into the uh, the iSmart ports in order to charge your phone and another device, right? Or you can reverse it and put it into the input port and charge your Actual raft power device, okay. All right, what else is in the box? Let's see. This looks like USB-C, yeah. Yes, that's a USB-C cable, so that will allow you to charge your, let's say, your notebook computer. Can you imagine that you can actually charge your notebook computer from this? So anyone who has a Pinebook or a Pinebook Pro,
1: that's what you need.
0: You can actually charge your Pinebook Pro from this device probably multiple times. This will charge a Nintendo Switch, because eh? ah, this has a this USB-C is- output, and it came with a USB-C cable. This yeah. will actually charge your Nintendo Switch three, maybe four times on a single charge. And to boot, Sasha, are yes, you ready for this? I'm ready for the it. The standard charger takes like 14 hours. Mm-hmm. This will take like four
1: how do they do that?
0: Because it's got iSmart. It's fast charge. Okay. It pumps the juice into the R- Nintendo quickly. Switch. Yeah. And go. Exactly. It's just like, hey, Nintendo Switch, huh, let's, did... like, let's juice you up.
1: Is this new magic? Like, it like, is what new is... magic.
0: Yes, it's exactly <laughs> new magic. That's exactly right. Uh, what else have I got for you as far as specifications go? Okay. Um, it will charge an iPhone 10. This is the brand new iPhone. Okay. Five times. Five times on a single charge. Okay. And the iPhone 10, of course, has got really good battery life as it is. So what's that? Like five days worth of charge? Um, it's got enough power to charge your MacBook Pro and keep it going. Your Raspberry Pi. Think about that. We've looked at the Pi Voyager. Yes. As a battery backup solution for the Raspberry Pi. But right. what about putting this in the field, connecting the input to like a solar panel, and allowing it to charge this?
2: I love
1: that.
0: How many milliamp hours is this? 26,800.
1: I don't understand. My brain doesn't How many doesn't years will the Raspberry? <sighs> My brain doesn't get what that means. Like,
0: Well, your standard batteries are like, like you might get like a couple thousand milliamp hours.
1: Okay. And this is 26,800.
0: Yeah, on a single charge.
1: Right not that heavy for all It really isn't. Craziness. But
0: but so plug this into a Raspberry Pi or another single board computer. Let's yeah. throw a, a Odroid XU4 on here and see how long we can power it for. We're going to power it from the battery like it, infinitely because oh. as soon as the sun comes up, the solar panels are going to recharge this if you put solar panels on. I'm just using that as an example. That's a but it's a ton of power. Um, but that said, you could you could plug your Raspberry Pi into this as a server or whatever take it elsewhere and it's still powered. And then you switch it over to the power on the AC, and
2: And it's
0: never down. You're always up if you're using it as a server or something like that. Um, All right, what do we got? 30-watt Type-C, so Mm -hmm. 30 full watts. Um, When I was mentioning the Nintendo Switch, just a quick note for you. You You can actually charge it from this and power it from this while playing it. So I want to be clear. Not, oh, not with the okay. HDMI, of course, because yeah. the HDMI uses the UH, uh, USB-C. But if you're just using but the like screen, in, you'd be able to like, charge your your Nintendo Switch while you're playing it. And then right. as soon as it's finished charging, put it back on the the HDMI if you wanted to put it up on the TV. Right. But
1: like, maybe in, in a airport. power outage. I'm thinking like I'm in the airport. In an
0: airport, in right? a power outage, in like a natural disaster, you want to play want Mario to just, Kart 8. Yeah. I'm sure you probably do.
1: And, yeah, you <laughs> it's do. very,
0: very important you in those instances. You want to escape reality
1: and a natural disaster and be playing your Switch. Exactly.
0: So I talked about plugging in expensive hardware like a Nintendo Switch. Yes. Plugging in your MacBook Pro. Plugging in your Pine, Pinebook Pro. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, what kind of protection is there against surges and things like that? There is. There is. Surge protection built into it. How do you like that? It's got overcharge, short circuit, and surge protection. So it will not overcharge your device. It has protection against that. It will not short circuit your device. It has protection against that. All built into this little thing.
1: Would it keep your device? You know how sometimes when you're charging something, it gets really hot? What is that? Will it keep that from happening? That's heat. Oh,
0: Heat, no, heat is good.
1: Heat is good. Yeah, Yeah, heat
0: is the transfer of electricity.
1: Okay, so the heat's... As
0: long as it's not unsafe. Like, if it's on fire, then you're probably not, you're probably not, you don't have surge protection. (laughs) I'll tell you that much. But yeah, heat is the, like, the transfer of electricity will result in heat.
1: Okay. That so that's, that's inevitable. Okay.
0: So um, so yeah, you're you're going to generate a little bit of heat when you're when you're transferring things over when your Raspberry Pi is powered up from it or from AC or whatever. Okay. Yeah, you're going to encounter that. Um, that's it, folks. Hey, 3.4 amp iSmart ports out of a battery. That's better than most of my power supplies that I plug into the wall. So, so it's fantastic.
1: If Dave were to get this for Christmas, where would I get if it from? Yeah,
0: Dave was to get this.
1: I know. For Dave Christmas. gets all the things I want for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> <It's>
0: so weird. <laughs> if you want this for Christmas, uh, it's cat 5tv portable Sasha. If you're watching this live, of course, that will be up after the show. Uh, but that's all that I need to say about that. I'm just very, very impressed. I mean, you've got to think about that 3.4 amps coming out of the iSmart ports. That's yeah. And when I work with single board computers all the time, like I always want portability. I want power. And this is going to give me way more than enough for something like a Raspberry Pi. Right. I'm very, very pleased with that. But looking back, your headphones, mm-hmm. you can charge them from this. You yeah. can charge your whatever you want. You just if plug you're it a in. Traveler, it's a USB.
1: If you're a traveler, you need that. That's how
0: Absolutely. On the road again, get your RAV power. It'll keep you powered up. That's the new quote. And you have to say it that way.
1: Just like that.
0: But hey, we have to head over to the newsroom, Sasha. I'm going to set that down there. (gasps) If you're ready to head over, yes, just like that. Just throw it across the room. They are indestructible, by the way. They're not indestructible. Do not ever.
1: Don't throw it on the floor like Robbie just did. Yes, they're not. It probably gives you one of those Oh, my for goodness, Christmas. it's on
0: fire. <laughs> it work. That's all there is to it. Okay, Sasha, if you're ready, we're going to head right over. Are you ready? I am. Okay.
1: Here's what's coming up in the Category 5.tv newsroom The U.S. Interior Department is grounding its entire drone fleet for fear it could be used against them. Google is buying Fitbit and promises that they will not exploit all that health data to serve ads. Microsoft Edge is coming to Linux. The late James Dean is getting digitally restored for an upcoming movie, and many on the internet, including Chris Evans, aren't happy. Stick around, the full details are coming up later in the show.
0: This is the Category 5.tv newsroom, covering the week's top tech stories with a slight Linux bias.
1: Rickman joined this week by Robbie Ferguson.
0: Some quick honorable mentions this week, Sasha Um, SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket. Mm-hmm. deployed 60 Starlink satellites into Earth's orbit this week. That was just Monday. Did you... I don't know if you at home caught the video. I was watching live, and it was astonishing.
1: Oh, I bet. To
0: think that an independent company has sent a shuttle, basically, up into the Earth's orbit and released 60 satellites. So what does that mean? Well, 60 satellites. Okay. Well, why do we need more satellites? what they're doing is creating the starlink technology so now i believe my theory is that elon musk who plans to go to mars is going to be uplinking our internet service here on earth with mars i think that's a very distinct possibility otherwise why is he so keen on getting satellites into the earth's orbit that are the internet however our immediate acknowledgement of what he's doing is uh, uh, what we still rely so much on cable And I mean wires I mean like the big honking wire that's under the ocean that brings the Internet across the ocean like we're still so heavily reliant on that so what would happen in a a world where we were no longer reliant on that if a natural disaster happened let's say a hurricane right that would typically take out infrastructure so we lose our phone. We lose our internet. We're no longer able to communicate with, uh, with family. Yeah. We're no longer able to let people know that we're safe, nor are we able to find out what's happening next. Yes. Is there a change in the weather? Is there a turn in this? Is I'm there just using a
1: place it. we should meet? Sure. Or, yes.
0: Yeah. So I'm using a natural disaster as a, a simple but effective example. So now imagine if... That internet provision, which internet provides voice over IP, phone service, it provides our news, our weather forecasting, and our communication. With internet these days, we have everything that we need as far as communication goes. I would agree. Yeah. So imagine if it was not susceptible to land-based natural disaster or war or famine or third world like the, 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 yeah. the inability to create infrastructure within the third world
1: mm-hmm.
0: because of simple financial reasons, right? So you think about those kinds of things and you think, okay, well, let's put a whole bunch of satellites up into orbit. and Now we're no, no longer susceptible to those things. So now when natural disaster strikes, everyone still has communication within that zone. When the third world countries need access to high speed internet for education, yes. they have that. So that's the immediate thing that's happening here with Starlink, and that is now underway. And there are other things, like I mentioned, independent. Like, this is not NASA. Be
1: on Mars.
0: Yes. But immediately, this is not NASA, this is not government funded, this is not a a government of the world that has come and said, okay, we're going to send something up into space. No, this is an independent company. And whatever you believe about Elon Musk, I think he's a genius. He's a brilliant man. And he's doing something that has never been done before. And we're about to see some shift in the technology. We're about to see a shift in how things work around here. And, and certainly I think he's planning for the future. And when I say Mars, I'm thinking, we know that that's his long-term endgame, yeah. Elon Musk. And if that's his long-term endgame, well, why is he putting satellites into the Earth's orbit that have internet access? And is that going to allow communication with Mars? Which is mind-bending to me. That's sci-fi. And yet, this is actually happening right now. Also, uh, in our honorable mentions, Google is attempting to combat the growing Play Store malware issue. And they've actually formed an app defense alliance, which brings technology from ESAT, Lookout, and Zimperium to the Play Store. So you might have actually noticed that now, when you install an app on Android, it gets scanned first. Yes. So uh, Android or Google has said, okay, well, that's not our specialty, the malware thing. ESET's already doing a fantastic job of this. So let's work with ESET. Let's allow ESET to create something for our app store. Mm -hmm. And we're working with these other companies through this alliance as well. And so it's going to reduce the amount of malware because it's scanning everything that goes into our phones through the app store. And I think it's a good thing. It's a very I agree.
1: Good thing. That is a good thing. It's it's preventative measure, right?
0: It really is. But it's also these are third parties. So these are not Google. Mm-hmm. They're aligned with Google, which is good for them. But there are those who are afraid of, or I I don't I shouldn't use the word afraid. Really? Who are a little bit on edge about monopolization. Right. There are the big three and google is one of them and and you know if there's so much power so if google has all control
1: yeah you can't say buy this from google and google says that it's safe
0: yeah yeah uh, so now we've got third parties that are involved yeah and third parties that are saying yes this is safe
1: it feels better yeah, even if those third parties like, were I think it's owned definitely a good Google. step.
0: It's definitely a good step, but it's also a little bit funny because you know the malware problem is like so they're they're taking a different approach to Microsoft. Microsoft has said, "Oh well, we'll just in, we'll just create a antivirus within our operating system that's garbage, by the way, but we'll put it in there." And Google is saying, "No, that's not our specialty. We're going to let the pros do this, and we're going to let them take care of the malware issue." It's an interesting interesting case. yeah. And finally, uh, in our honorable mentions this week, NASA scientists opened an untouched rock and oil sample from the moon that was returned to Earth on Apollo 17. That marks the first time in more than 40 years that a pristine sample from the Apollo era has been opened. And what's really, really cool about this, Sasha, is that we've seen pictures of the x-ray data from 40 years ago of those samples and it's like blurry and 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 now they've shown x-ray photos that are ai enhanced and machine learning enhanced through current 2019 technology and it's absolutely mind-blowing how the technology has shifted our ability to look at these samples and Just goes to show like hey that was a good move on NASA's part to be able to you know set those samples aside and wait for the technology. So we had
1: the technology to actually like, exactly. do like, the soil sample. And the, yeah. 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 Very, very cool.
0: Yeah.
1: All right. Let's get into the top stories we're following this week. Okay. The U.S. Interior Department is grounding its entire drone fleet for fear it could be used against them. Overseas Federal Land and Resource Management says it's grounding its entire aerial drone fleet of more than 800 UAVs out of concern for Chinese spying and drone-aided cyber attacks. Every drone in use by the Interior Department is either manufactured in China or uses some Chinese-made parts. Interior Security David Bernhardt made the order two weeks ago, and the drones will remain grounded until the department completes a review of the security risks they may pose. Many of the drones are currently used by the department to help with combating forest fires, monitoring dams and floods, inspecting land for property and environmental damage due to erosion, and monitoring endangered species. Some of the concern is centered on whether the drones could be used to transmit data including photography and video of sensitive U.S. infrastructure that may be the subject of future cyber attacks. The move is the U.S. government's latest escalation in its push to punish Chinese companies for years of alleged trade secret theft, despite the U.S. purchasing billions of dollars in products and equipment from Chinese firms every year. U.S. lawmakers last month introduced a bill that would prevent federal agencies from purchasing drones from China, something that could greatly impact Chinese drone giant DJI's business. Federal agencies have warned against using DJI products in the past, but the company has never faced an outright ban. A spokesperson for DJI said, quote, As the leader in commercial drone technology, we have worked with the Department of Interior to create a safe and secure drone solution that meets their rigorous requirements, which was developed over the course of 15 months with DOI officials Independent cybersecurity professionals and experts at NASA. We will continue to support the Department of Interior and provi- provide assistance as it reviews its drone fleet so the agency can quickly resume the use of drones to help federal workers conduct vital operations. Oh end my. Quote.
0: <laughs> so. I hope that the decision to ground the fleet is based upon.
1: Security and not politics.
0: Information, <laughs> we'll say, <laughs> because if if it's based on politics, and I, I we we don't get in, we try yeah. not to get into politics yes. here.
1: Here's what I will say. Okay, people love to use drones people need to use drones now we have come mm-hmm. accustomed to them we want to consumers use, you mean consumers and yeah. industries I mm-hmm. mean I even just heard in the news today that our local community wants to use drone defrib- defibrillators
0: oh that's amazing yes yeah, yeah. So for immediate so smart
1: yeah so drones have become a part of our everyday life
0: China, And can I just say can I just inject here yes Drones. We're using the term drones and that's what's in the news story. We're talking quadcopters and hexacopters. We're not talking military units. We're talking devices that are designed to assist.
1: And we're leaning into that technology. We're not leaning away from it. So if the U.S. wants to stop using amazing DJI drones, Mm -hmm. they've got to come up with a solution that's better. (laughs)
0: american-made right
1: because the truth of the matter is they make really good products and and nobody's gonna want to dial it back yeah yeah they're so good that you almost look past the iffiness of some of it right but
0: is there iffiness i mean it it sounds to me as though dji has done their due diligence they've worked with the military. Exactly. They've worked with the government. They've worked with cybersecurity professionals in order to develop the technology that is in use.
1: Yeah. I would, so, I would say that they're doing their part. So why not?
0: That's how it feels. And I say that with reluctance because there's always, there's always the chance, right? But come on. Mm-hmm. The American government has the, the power, the manpower, the smarts to reverse engineer firmwares. Yes. They can look at what packets are being sent and transmitted. Mm -hmm. But realistically, we're talking about devices that are designed to assist. Exactly. As you mentioned, defibrillation. Yeah. I can get a defibrillator to you in minutes rather than having to get it there on an ambulance. Right. When you're in the middle, like we're here in Canada. So when you're in the middle of Algonquin Park. Exactly. Think about how horrendous it would be if your spouse went into cardiac arrest.
1: Exactly. If they can, if they can drone in a defibrillator, I can yeah. keep them alive yeah. until paramedics or help comes. Right. right? Minutes versus the, the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm.
0: And I don't want to discredit that, okay, so if there is intelligence that says these particular drones that are saving lives are spying on you mm-hmm. and sharing the location of the defibrillation unit with the Chinese government because they because they care, right? They want to come on. Realistically, like why? Why does the Chinese government care that you are putting out a fire? In this particular area, like it, it just doesn't make any sense to me, realistically. Again, if there's intelligence, then let me know. But I,
1: yeah, I know we don't know the outs. We're not and outs. That. It just seems a little bit of a strange. a <laughs> yeah. strange play. I'll just leave it at that. It
0: seems like trade wars.
1: Yeah. To me. Yeah.
0: That's opinion. I know. I'm sorry.
1: It does, Yeah, I would like. I would like real solid proof yeah. that DJI is doing something untoward. Sure. I, and I have not yet seen it.
0: We've so. yet to see proof that DJI, and we've heard this in the news. And as as you mentioned, DJI has they've warned against the use of DJI technology, not because there's anything wrong with them, but because they're Chinese. What the heck?
1: Yeah. Since when? Like, since when? I'm can not going to say- comment
0: on that. <laughs> <laughs> we stay away from politics. <laughs> I'll tell you since when, Sasha.
1: <laughs> it just drives me full of As I do yeah. know. Let's just move along.
0: Let's move along.
1: Google is buying Fitbit and promises that they will not exploit all that health data to serve ads. Google will pay $2.1 billion to acquire Fitbit, the second largest company in the wearables market, inserting itself into a world increasingly dominated by Apple and continuing the mass consolidation of consumer technology by the big three corporations Amazon being the third party offering $7.35 a share Google was prepared to pay a 70 percent premium to take control of the company although the overall valuation is not even twice Fitbit's annual revenue serving to illustrate the company's recent struggles It is Google's fifth largest acquisition, more than it paid for YouTube or Waze back in the day, and illustrates two things. First, that Google is increasingly focused on hardware following its Nest and Motorola acquisitions. And second, that wherever Apple or Amazon go, Google follows. Google's efforts to repeat its approach to the mobile phone market with Wear OS took a hit last year when Huawei ditched it in favor of its own homegrown operating system. Google clearly decided that it needed to control some hardware in the market and so guarantee a foothold and a $2 billion acquisition of Fitbit was the answer. The biggest concern about the acquisition, given Google's business model, is what the web giant will now do with the vast amounts of personal data it will now acquire. Senior VP of Devices and Services Rick Osterlawn addressed this point, saying, When you use our products, you're trusting Google with your information. We understand this is a big responsibility and we work hard to protect your information, put you in control and give you transparency about your data, End quote. He goes on to clarify, quote, similar to our other products with wearables, we will be transparent about the data we collect and why we will never sell personal information to anyone. Fitbit health and wellness data will not be used for Google Ads, and we will give Fitbit users the choice to review, move, or delete their data." Fitbit customers have been complaining for years about the decline in quality of its products and software, so Google's inevitable migration to its system will probably result in a better user experience over time. Looking at the bigger picture, however, the acquisition of Fitbit will only add to arguments by governments and regulators that the big three, Google, Apple, and Amazon, have too much power and are reducing competition across a whole range of markets. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think
0: data is the currency these days.
1: Right. That's
0: really, really true.
1: And do you know how much data is Fitbit has on Do
0: me? you know? What I do you, know. What are you wearing? I, I on your wear wrist? a Fitbit. Look at this. There
1: is nothing.
0: She's got a Google device on her wrist.
1: So the, here's the thing mm-hmm. I love Fitbit. Yes. I also actually love Google.
0: Independently for, of one independently, another? Independently. What if they were amalgamated?
1: I don't love them to be able to mm-hmm. marry together data points about me that I would like to keep separate. Okay. And I think that they'll now have that, right? Well,
0: they they'll now have know my, your heart rate.
1: They'll know my heart rate and my location. Yes. They know
0: where you shop.
1: They know where I. Yeah, they know where I shop. They even know what I wear. They do anyways. Like so you've got
0: yeah. an Android phone, so they know where you are.
1: Yeah. They. Yeah, but I. Which feel works
0: like fantastically. This is why a Starbucks opened up on my route to work.
1: Right. Because
0: they knew where I, where but, I travel.
1: Fitbit knows health things about me. Sure. And I'm okay with that. Google doesn't know health things about me. Mm. Right? Like, okay. Google doesn't know how I sleep at night. Fitbit does. Oh. Fitbit knows exactly how well I've slept That's at night.
0: That's interesting.
1: Right? Google might find out that I am more apt to buy something when I've had less than seven hours of sleep. Sure. And then they mm. say that they're not going to push it.
0: They us. say that.
1: They can say that. They're not idiots,
0: though. No, they'll find a way. If I
1: were Google, I would say that too.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Of course, they'd say that. Because
1: the truth of the matter is, but
0: there has to be truth. Now,
1: like I weigh my, I weigh myself daily on my Fitbit scale. Okay. If my weight goes up, Google's now going to send me something. New jeans. Probably. <laughs> right? Like everything. Oh, my goodness. So I'm not sure about this whole Fitbit and Google marriage, even though I love both of them. Mm-hmm. I don't know which one I need to break up with.
0: Even in our chat room, Noman5 is having trouble with this whole marriage of Google and Fitbit saying that he's thinking about stopping using his Fitbit just because of this. And
1: I see at first when I first heard this story... Um, and I, it was DJ Wheels that sent it to yeah. me first. And when okay. I first heard the story, mm-hmm. I was excited. Oh, yes. Because I love both of them. But yeah. then I, And then I kind of like let it marinate a little bit inside my head. And I mm-hmm. thought, mm, no, I don't want like Fitbit knows details about yeah. my health. Like they know mm. my my what i eat my liquid input mostly because i add that in but
0: (laughs) (laughs) drinking a water
1: exactly but they know they know yes sleep but google knows my driving habits because i google maps
0: well now it's all if i don't sleep consolidated together what
1: if i don't sleep well and then i get into a car accident Right.
0: Right? They're going to know that. Yeah. <gasps> the government is involved. <gasps> Whoa. What if my insurance
1: <sighs> finds out?
0: What well, if... they will because Google's going to buy your insurance company. Yeah. You watch because they're just buying up companies like this. Like it,
1: it, it gets yeah. complicated when you start thinking, okay, well, now am I going to be declined something that I want? Like, say, some sort of critical right. illness insurance because wow. now they can see that I don't eat right or sleep well or I do, yep. I do all of those very well. But this is, it. This is hypothetical. Uh, or, you know, if my w- BMI has been increasing or wow. my heart rate's a little off the charts.
0: It's an interesting thought, and it really sounds sci-fi to me. Yeah. But we're seeing it take place. Like, it's- we're at that early stage of this.
1: Right. But then at the same time, it's kind of cool to think that they would be able to monitor the heart rate of everybody in a traffic oh, yeah. jam.
0: And it makes absolutely sense as an acquisition. Oh, Google needed to make this move. And Fitbit needed needed it. it.
1: Fitbit has been not fabulous.
0: And I'll just say that Fitbit was on its way down. So Fitbit will have gone out of business. So if you love Fitbit, if you use your Fitbit device, well, think of it this way. Google saved it. So your device is going to keep working thanks to Google. Yes. Plain and simple.
1: I'm just having a really hard time with it. It feels very... uh,
0: I think what you're going to have to do, Sasha, and viewers who use Fitbit, is keep an eye on the changes in the privacy terms, keep an eye on the terms and service, keep an eye on changes in the rights that they have access to your data and what they're allowed to use that data for. Because as they've said, so there's clever wording here, and think about that, and you're not going to hear this on traditional news media, but there's clever wording here when they're saying, we are not going to use your data for this and that and advertising.
1: Yeah, we're not going to use it for ads. No, we're not. There's a ton of other things they could use it
0: for. But we're going to collect that data. Yeah. So remember, they're collecting it. They're holding on to it. It is part of the data, the data set that is you. And then as those terms and conditions change five years from now, when people forget about the acquisition and just trust that this thing is working... If they don't read those terms and conditions, now all of a sudden, well, I am getting new gene advertising, mm-hmm. or I am getting some skewed results when I Google things.
1: Yeah, or how integrated might it become with the medical industry? And I say that because mm-hmm. Fitbit recently sent me a little push notification. Did you know that you can print yourself a report to take to your doctor uh, that shows you... that's
0: cool, you, though. That's she, neat.
1: So I did it. I didn't print it. I PDF printed it, but... Mm-hmm. And I loved it. I thought, wow, I don't have any need to go to the doctor right now. But Mm -hmm. if I did, I would bring this and it shows tracking of your highs and your lows of every marker and your. How'd you sleep
0: last night? Well, here you go. Check out my report.
1: Exactly. This is the worst sleep I've ever had, the best sleep I've ever had, and here's the average. Mm -hmm. I love it. But at what point does the doctor automatically get that as opposed to me sharing it? Right? And then there the doctor time, says yeah. to me calls me up and says you need to come in because I've noticed uh, that your heart rate's off the charts. I've got I have right. noticed that AI has told me Hey Robbie I've your
0: BMI dinged. is really yeah. high.
1: Yeah. I yeah. I was dinged that your heart rate is kind of crazy right <laughs> now. Too much
0: alcohol in your system.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's oh, a little dear. bit like like Minority Report or something it can, to me. It can
0: get that way. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> We've got to take a quick break. The Crypto Report and more of this week's top tech stories are coming up. Don't go anywhere.
0: This the Category 5.TV newsroom and looking at the crypto market, Sasha, and how things have changed over the past week as far as the Category 5 crypto report goes. So you can find that at category5.tv slash crypto report. Yeah. Things have not really changed a lot. However, Bitcoin has lost a fair bit, losing oh. over $500. It's down at $8,778.71 US dollars. That's the value of a single Bitcoin. Uh, We're still looking for Libra, but it's not trading yet. We've got Litecoin also losing $1.61. It's at $61.45. We've got the Ethereum coin, which is the only coin that we are currently tracking that gained this week. Okay, Gaining just a little bit. It's up at $186.20. Monero is at $62.89, pretty much on par with where it was last week. Scala is at 0.29 ten thousandths of a cent. And TurtleCoin, interestingly, about midweek last week, we saw it starting to spike. We saw it starting to climb, and I was like, what is happening? Are we finally going to the moon? And then it dropped back down.
1: That's the thing with the crypto report is mm-hmm. that I wonder what happens from week to week because like Bitcoin or turtlecoin could just be like loor, loor, All and then over stay the place. kind of the same from yeah. one week to the next because it is so crazy
0: and those micro coins really can fluctuate, yeah. so you can get really, really excited about the turtle coin because like a fluctuation, when you're talking about ten thousandths of a cent, yeah. could only be a one-cent fluctuation. Right. But it's huge as far as graphs go, yeah. right? When you look at Bitcoin, which is hovering around $9,000 per coin,
2: yeah.
0: a, a, a one-cent differential not gonna is not going sh- to make a difference whatsoever. Yeah. So, but do remember, as Sasha was saying, like it's always moving, it's always changing. The crypto market never closes, it's open 24-7. That means if I go to bed at night thinking I'm doing really, really well with my cryptocurrency, yeah. I could get up in the morning and it's completely skewed the other way. So when you invest, when you spend anything on cryptocurrency, our recommendation here at Category 5 TV is to only spend what you can afford to lose. It is uh, a gamble to to yes. get involved in cryptocurrency whatsoever.
1: I will say... in. In the crypto report, my favorite is Turtle Coin, only because I can I love the name. I can just picture these Slow tiny, these tiny little baby turtles that just like erupted from their shells in the beachy sand. See, so that's and they're exactly
0: just, like, how it works. Running
1: to the ocean, and they're trying mm-hmm. so hard, and I'm like, "Go, that's exactly little how guys!" It works,
0: folks. Yeah, <laughs> that's all you have to do. Just stand by the ocean <laughs> yeah. and wait
1: and to one day to the moon. You'll go to the moon.
0: Yes, we're on our way there, folks. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Microsoft Edge is coming to Linux. News that a Linux port of the Chromium-based Edge browser is on the way isn't too much of a surprise, given that Microsoft developers have teased the possibility several times before. They've previously gone on record as saying that Edge for Linux is something that we'd like to do and something that would happen eventually. They even launched a survey to scope out feedback on the idea from existing Linux users. But now Edge for Linux is official, and Microsoft says it will be out next year. When Microsoft announced it was rebuilding its Edge browser on top of the of Chromium, the likelihood of a native Linux port increased substantially due to the cross-platform nature of the code base. After all, an assortment of Chromium-based web browsers already support Linux, including Google Chrome, Vivaldi, Opera, Yandex, and SR, SRWare Iron. For its part, though, Microsoft seems to be understanding how open source works. Edge has become an active contributing member to the Chromium open source project, which means work done for Edge can in turn benefit other browsers, including ones you might actually want to use.
0: (laughs) I'm actually glad that you made that statement, because (laughs) the whole time you're talking, I'm thinking... Wah, wah, wah. Who cares? Yeah. Wah,
1: wah, wah.
0: It's like Microsoft doesn't at all understand the industry. And this is Microsoft. Yeah. Nobody, and I speak generally, I may be generalizing here, <laughs> but nobody who is proficient enough on their computer to be a, a proficient Linux user wants Edge. No. Period. Zero. However, then you said that they're contributing back to open source, and it may assist the Chromium project. And so I'm like, okay, that's kind of nice of them. If it's good, I want to see their commits. Mm -hmm. I want to see their PRs. I want to see what they're contributing back and whether it's actually worth our while.
1: Is there any chance that they would ever do something where they weren't getting more than they were giving?
0: Microsoft? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Come so, on now. No, they own GitHub. So they're always going to be getting more than they're giving. Always. Period. Yeah. Period. And so. they have machine learning and they have AI that can culminate the data on GitHub and pull it all into their own projects, for sure.
1: It's, it's not surprising, I don't think.
0: I do have Windows 10 on a couple of my computers at work. I have to for yeah. certain things. Yeah. And I don't use Edge on those because it sucks. Yeah. And nobody should use Edge.
1: I don't think, does anybody actually use Edge? Does anybody?
0: I think the only people that I've ever encountered, Sasha, who use Edge, and you can correct me if, like, if you're a diehard Edge lover.
1: Please let me know. You can
0: correct me, but I think that the only people who use it are those who accidentally use it. Yeah. They look at the E and they think it's Internet Explorer because they're so novice that they don't understand
1: yeah, I feel like
0: anything about anything.
1: If I was on edge, it would be like I was standing in a desert and I'm like, <laughs> if Hello! She's on edge Anybody out there? If you're
0: on your, if Nobody's so, there. Some people might be thinking, Oh, but I think I use the E. The blue E. And if you do, bring up the blue E and type in install Chrome. That's better. Yeah. And just see what happens. And it's interesting that when you do that, Edge will say, "Oh, but Edge is faster and Edge is better." It's like, dude, just back off, man. This is yeah. like, this is like the needy boyfriend, right? That's yeah. like, oh, I, I I'm, I'm I so much better. better than you. I can do better. I could Please give me another chance.
1: Are you sure? I felt like that. Facebook did that to me when I broke up with it. <laughs> Like, are you sure in this case we'll miss
0: you? Oh, dear. No, No. like Chrome, Firefox. I'm not uh, not in love with Firefox right now. Mozilla's making some really bad decisions, but that is, you know, that's between me and Firefox. We'll we'll have it out eventually. I use Chrome for the most part.
1: I feel like I only use Chrome always ever, I think.
0: I think also the integration of Google's software google services because i'm i've been using google drive a lot google docs and uh so that's where i do a lot of my uh, because i can open them just like having word yes on all of my computers doesn't matter if they're linux windows mac doesn't matter i know and so i love that and it doesn't even matter if they're powerful enough. or I don't have to have software licenses. I just log in and I'm in. I know. So I do like Chrome for that.
1: I definitely love it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> this is not a Chrome advertisement. This is an anti-Edge <laughs> Let's advertisement. Let's dial
1: it back a little. My love for Chrome runs deep.
0: But okay. <laughs> understand, though. Okay, so just quickly, because I know we've got to move on. Okay. But Chrome, which we love, is based on Chromium. Yes. Edge which we despise is based on chromium they're both pulling they're the same underlying software right microsoft's edge browser is dead microsoft themselves have killed it and said this sucks microsoft said that not verbatim however they said we're no longer going to develop it Based on our own code base, we're going to base it on the same code base that Chrome uses. Right. We're going to oh, our Edge is sucking so bad. We're going to make it based on Chrome. So they're actually Edge is based on Chrome now, basically. It's just
1: like a Chrome Echo. You should just change the name.
0: Yeah. So I'm just like <laughs> so putting that into perspective. So yeah, they might give back, and we'll see what they give back. But I think it's all just.
1: It's Nobody hullabaloo. Wants it.
0: Nobody wants it. No. Don't put it on Linux. <laughs> but uh, And that bothers me because no Linux user wants Edge. Right? I right? Would
1: ass- I would assume so. Correct us. For I real. I want to be correct. Correct us. If you love Linux and also Edge, let me know.
0: And I will...
1: Wonder about your...
0: I will pray for you. (laughs) No, but what bothers me about this is that I feel like this is one of those tactics by a big company that's going to say, we tried Linux. Adobe, we tried Linux, and it just, ah, game developers, oh, we tried Linux. Right? Yeah. And, uh, well, it didn't really fly. Well, so we tried Linux, we brought our edge browser to linux and people didn't like it so we're just we're just not going to support the Uh, open source it just feels like that no no
1: wouldn't it be crazy they're not
0: stupid yeah they're not nobody wants edge on linux yeah nobody so correct me if i'm wrong that's how i feel yeah so it feels like this is a tactic they're saying here's edge for linux here you go install and enjoy oh nobody installed it oh i guess uh, uh well linux is not a is not for not you know we're not going to yeah. support linux we're not going to put our investment dollars into linux our development time uh, doesn't it feel that way yeah that's just my opinion it's not based on anything factual I other weird <laughs> if we
1: did like a like a five-year update on this story and we're like oh we were wrong everybody let's look now loves Edge. everybody
0: make it yeah <laughs> Robbie's like, I'm going to show you the latest features in Edge. Finally, here we are. Five years later, we have plugins. Yeah. (laughs) That would be wonderful. (laughs) Uh.
1: The late James Dean is getting digitally restored for an upcoming movie. And many on the internet, including Chris Evans, aren't happy. Magic City Films has announced that, thanks to movie magic technology, it has cast Dean in its upcoming drama, Finding Jack but he died in a car crash in 1955 when he was just 24 years old. Dean only appeared in three feature films before his death and has been cast posthumously as a secondary character in the coming Vietnam War drama. Fans of the actor weren't exactly excited about the news on social media. Zelda Williams, actor and daughter of the late Robin Williams, tweeted, quote, Publicity stunt or not, this is puppeteering of the dead for their clout alone and it sets such an awful precedent for the future of performance, end quote. Their recently launched production house Magic City Films obtained the rights to use Dean's image from his family. Co-director Anton Ernst says, quote, We feel very honored that his family supports us and will take every precaution to ensure that his legacy as one of the most epic film stars to date is kept firmly intact. End quote. While Finding Jack will be live action, Dean's performance will be constructed via full-body CGI using actual footage and photos. Another actor will voice him.
0: Unbelievable that we're there. Yeah. I mean, we've seen deep fakes. Yeah. They're incredible. Mind-blowing. Now they're going to create the actor. And, And I know that's been done before in some ways.
1: Oh yeah, we've seen performances done by major stars.
0: Oh yeah, stuff. yeah. But, but this is taking somebody who created films in the fifties, bringing him back to life in color.
1: I I am not opposed to this. Okay, I am not opposed to this. I like it actually. I and think you've that expressed
0: will... an interest in this type of technology before.
1: Yes, it feels a little tiny bit Black Mirror. But, yes. But in Has a enough way. time
0: passed, though? I, I could think say... So. he's
1: think 80, he's 88, or he would, would be have been eight, 88.
0: 88 years old, yeah.
1: I feel like, and I might be speaking out of turn, but if I were James Dean and 88 years old, I would want to see myself...
0: As a youth.
1: As a youth. Yeah. Exactly. Like, who wouldn't How cool. want that? Yeah. I, w- I think that this will be an incredible... I'm assuming they'll be honoring him. They're not going to be doing something.
0: That's the idea, right? Like, I yeah.
1: it would be different if they were, I guess, throwing him, dragging him through the mud. But
0: no, the idea here yeah. is they're making his fourth movie. That's nice. the idea. Like, that's the premise here is that yeah. James Dean will be this one of the stars, not the leading role, but a star in his fourth movie.
1: I am I am all for this because I mm. would like for that to be able to happen f- for me or for you. Sure, like,
0: you could have the night off tonight.
1: Right, or yeah? or like <laughs> one day after I pass, long from now, oh, right? Yeah. Hundred years from now. Wouldn't it be so cool to be like, this is what Sasha was like yeah. to a younger generation, like,
0: mm-hmm. y- voiced by Gilbert Godfrey.
1: Exactly. <laughs> and i would like to ask to also do this also for river phoenix and i realize you'll probably need to get his family's uh, sure permission. well that's
0: too soon i don't know we're talking about though like <laughs> james dean
1: James right dean. And,
0: yeah. and could we start to see and and that's a that's a whole ethical dilemma too right like when does a human's persona become public domain well is that even a thing
1: Right. But that's well, going to happen. Were, if it were Disney, so it would never happen, because Disney likes to keep it <laughs> up forever.
0: But don't you think that's but going to happen? It's going to happen. We're at the point now where so much time has passed since recorded history began. Yes. And I, I don't mean, like, recorded on a stone tablet. I mean recorded, like, video, audio. Mm-hmm. We're getting to that point where soon it's going to be 100 years on. Right. Then it's going to be 150 years on. In my children's generation, like we're looking 100, 100, 130 years on for some of these actors. And yeah. you know, when are we going to see those actors rebirthed and brought back? Yeah. And where is the, the moral compass when it comes to that? And
2: I, is it just honestly, up
0: to the estate to make that I, decision?
1: I suppose. I, I think it's up to the estate. I think once you've kind of lent yourself to film... Mm-hmm. You are now part of film. Like I feel like
0: there is that, right? and that's hard for us to accept. But we're seeing. I mean, w- w- yeah, when you're when you're
1: like I know that a
0: celeb. That's I know
1: Zelda was saying that she are, thinks that it's pup- puppeteering of the dead. But yeah, but it's no different than splicing clips of you know. Say Robin Williams to say something well, that he didn't say, but no, not that anybody would have done that, but that's still... But to
0: be fair to Zelda, again. I wouldn't bring back Robin Williams. Not yeah. now.
1: Not yet. It's fresh.
0: 80 years from now? Yes. Or, or 50 years from now? Maybe that's acceptable. Yeah. But not now.
1: Yeah. Right? I think it's funny that Chris Evans did, did <laughs> voice his concern. Thank yeah. you, Captain America.
0: And, and a lot of folks <laughs> have. But... But
1: I I, like I even it. saw
0: Bette Midler tweeting. She was she was joking about how white male actors get jobs even if they're dead. Like that's. The
1: but see, <laughs> e- like, and I mean,
0: it's like oh. And maybe Bette I'm just in love
1: with the technology, but I think to myself, wouldn't Bette Midler want to do a movie with her own self but younger? How cool would that be?
0: Well, and Will Smith is doing that, in a ma- manner of speaking. What he has a movie that is just that, where he's co-acting with his 20 year old self which see? is really kind of neat that's
1: kind of similar technology to <laughs> this right don't in don't my but mind but he's
0: still I mean... alive so he can give the a okay and he can act the second actor and I then don't... they just de-age technology it's a little bit of a different technology for sure obviously right.
1: but, but i love it mm-hmm. i'd like to see how it goes
0: will you see it will you watch the movie mm. That's the qu- and, and this is a question for the community. Comment below. Would you watch it? James Dean, starring in a new movie in 2020. Finding would check. you watch it? Or is there an ethical dilemma that prevents you from feeling right about watching and supporting that?
1: What would that be? There is no ethical... I know. I don't feel like there's an ethical dilemma. I do
0: say that a little bit. Like, I... Personally, will probably I'd be very interested to see it.
1: Uh-huh.
0: But there are those who are really uncool with bringing back an actor who has passed, and I can understand that. I can I can respect that.
1: Ah, I, I have a heart. I'm so pro the process that it's hard for me to see the flip side of it. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to see the side that's bad about bringing back to light somebody who obviously love to entertain and mm-hmm. let them continue to do so. I, I do
0: <laughs> Comment below. Let us know what you think.
1: Big thanks to Roy W. Nash and our community of viewers for submitting stories to us this week. Thanks for watching the Category 5.TV Newsroom. Don't forget to like and subscribe for all your tech news with a slight Linux bias. And if you appreciate what we do, become a patron at patreon.com newsroom. From the Category 5.TV Newsroom, I'm Sasha Rickman.
0: And I'm Robbie Ferguson. Thanks for being here with us again this week. Hey, the show's not over, folks. We've got one more thing to show you. Stick around. This is Category 5 Technology TV. You know me if you watch the show, and I am very keen on reusing and and fixing things rather than discarding and replacing. Like I want to learn so badly. I want to learn how to be able to fix a broken television so that it doesn't end up in a landfill or even e-waste where it's torn down and who knows where the parts end up. Right. right. I want to be able to fix those things and then I can reuse them and it's super cheap. Mhm. I found a monitor on the e-waste pile and I took it apart and found the problem with it. It was in the power supply, three little capacitors. It cost me $12 to fix it. Right? Yeah. Perfect. My Christmas lights aren't working. I'm going to spend like 8 bucks to replace the bulbs that need to be replaced, rather than the $80 that it would cost me to replace all the strands.
1: Yeah. So you feel good. There's pride in the work that you've done. You've minimized. It's your a lot more prints.
0: work. It's yeah.
1: a lot more work. But it's more fulfilling, right? And, and
0: yeah, there is that. I feel a very big sense of accomplishment. And I'll be honest, every time I plug an Ethernet cord into the the switch that I fixed, because I got a switch for free, it was going to go in the dump. Yeah. And I grabbed it, and I figured out what was wrong with it, and I resoldered the capacitors that needed replacing, and it cost me a couple bucks on Amazon to buy the capacitors. And so every time I use that switch that I fixed, I feel good about it. Yes. I feel like I saved that from the landfill, and I feel really good. But sometimes there, there are things in life that we can't reuse, or we can't repair, we can't fix.
1: Uh-huh. Like?
0: Like, mm-hmm. uh... Well, I'm a, a bit of a coffee drinker, Sasha. Yeah,
1: yes, that that you are.
0: Some of you might be able to relate. I always have a cup of coffee in front of me. In my, in my office, I have a coffee maker where I just make pot after pot.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I really do. At home, however, we have a Keurig. Okay. A lot of you do. It's convenient. It works really well. It makes a great cup of coffee. And then. And then you end up like this. I have I have a Ziploc bag. That is some of the pods.
1: And your heart just, like, it hurts a little when you look at this.
0: This is from Sunday. So I was, not all me, come on, come on. I got three kids and a wife at home, right?
1: Some of the kids probably don't drink coffee.
0: (laughs) No, but there are hot chocolates. (laughs)
1: Okay.
0: (laughs) Look at that. Hot chocolate salted caramel, Mm. right? Am I right? Like Keurig is pretty decent. Not an advertisement for Keurig. What I want to talk to you about is what we're putting into the landfill.
1: Right. So I the reason I have a hard time with Love & Keurig is yeah. look at how big that is.
0: That's like, a big hunk of plastic with some metal and other stuff. Yeah. Right?
1: That's bananas.
0: So quickly, cat5.tv slash coffee. There's going to be a link for everything that I'm mentioning here. Yes. Everybody in the chat room is using I know. Like, one of the things that I do love about Keurig is that you can get pods yes. that are refillable and reusable and cleanable. So,
1: and those are awesome. You just put one scoop of coffee?
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay. So this one, which is at cat5.tv slash coffee. Now, I've tried multiple. I'm showing you only the best, okay? This one does not require a filter. This is right. like that reusable filter. So you just rinse it out and then let it dry, and then reuse it. There's no need to buy filters for this. Right. So the only result of this is compost. Just the coffee grounds. Yes. That's it, okay?
1: Rinse, reuse. You
0: can also put tea in it and everything else. So this is fantastic. However, I still like the convenience of the Keurig coffee pods, and I also like to be able to have variety. Yes. But then what do I do? Well... I don't want to sound like a bit of a a dork. Like, hey, well, you could be using this and saving the environment. Well, but But I'm also realistic, okay? I do want salted caramel i really really do who doesn't want salted this is fantastic okay so have these Mm -hmm. buy these if you use keurig you have to get these because they are fantastic you just fill it up with coffee you put it in and i use actually espresso and i pack it down a little bit yeah and don't pack it down too much because then it's going to be too much pressure and it's not going to come out but if you just pack it down a little bit it's going to give you a pretty good cup of espresso it's not as good as like a real cappuccino machine but it's okay. It it's it's pretty good. Yeah. And it's reusable and there's no waste. Okay. So that's pretty good. But I do, I'm, I'm realistic. I'm not going to pretend that that's all I do because I do buy these. Okay. And I buy them in bulk and a lot of us do.
1: There's real. Yeah. I mean.
0: But the pods, they, they build up on the counter. They're a pain in the butt to recycle. They are recyclable. Okay. Okay. But they're not recyclable like this. I have a cup here for a reason, a bowl here for a reason. They're not recyclable like this. You can't just throw that in the recycle bin. It's you got. Peel the top I'm getting coffee or? grounds all over. Yeah, you yeah, have a bowl, and you still could. Know you're still doing. I'm okay. still making a mess. <laughs> you could peel the top off. It's a pain, and when you have what I showed you there, the bag from just one day's use. Yeah. That would be a fair bit of work to try to figure out how to how to get that clean. So. I said.
1: I'm, yes.
0: Wouldn't it be nice, Becca? my wife if they made some kind of cutter that would allow you to easily make this right to to fix this so that it can be recycled and then i got on amazon and i found it and it exists it was my idea but somebody Somebody else already already thought of it thought
1: of it first and
0: probably patented it and made it okay so so that's all it looks like it's got little blades that pop out when you squeeze And I'm just going to try it right here, live on the air. Okay. Because this is good TV. So we all know how these are to recycle. They're a pain in the butt. You try to get the lid off, the top off, and it's really, really tough. So I'm just going to snap that on there. This is a used K-cup. And turn. That's all there is to it. Now, presumably, I'm going to do that over top of the... Green bin. The green bin, right? But you can see... That that took no effort whatsoever,
1: and then it's recyclable.
0: It's a, it, I'm making a little bit of a mess because I am you know just doing this. But yes, that's now you know give that a rinse and throw it in the recycle I just wanna bin.
1: You want to see the inside of this guy? You want
0: to see the inside? Okay, grab yeah, another it has, one.
1: It has a filter in it.
0: Yeah, it does. Interesting. Yeah. I'm gonna grab another one here. This one is from a chocolate covered cherry hot hot cocoa. Okay. So just simply have one of these, cat5.tv slash coffee, and you're going to be able, and I know I'm just getting a couple just, of here because I'm trying to show the camera at the same time. You're going to do this over your, your compost mm-hmm. or whatever. And it's as simple as I'm just simply turning the K cup within the bla- like this blade apparatus, and that's it. This one, uh, I guess the hot chocolates don't really have anything in them.
1: Oh yeah, because they're not caffeinated.
0: Yeah, but the, well, there's no filter, or any. there's no coffee grounds. It was probably like an instant uh, yeah. mix, right? But you can see how that just took the top right off. There's no effort to it. I'm just chatting away. And there we go. So this is another way that with my Keurig, I can really, really help the environment. And I do care about that a lot. Yes. Um, and I want you to as well. This is something that it only costs you a couple of bucks. You're going to replace it every couple of months. Uh, it does come with two, um, so maybe every every three to six months. And with that, you're going to be able to really, really quickly and easily recycle these, okay? That's so, smart. And, and put them in the in the compost. Like, put the grounds in the compost, put the the plastic in the recycle, and then you're mm-hmm. done. As easy as that. Boom. Done. Right? Just do it. Don't exactly. even think about it. If you use Keurig, you've got to do this. Um, so that's at cat5.tv slash coffee, folks. And incidentally, I'll just say, um, that would make a really great... Both of these would make a really great um, stocking stuffer. For, exactly. You know, the coffee lover on your list that probably has a Keurig device anyways. Um, so there you have it. So, um, But that's all the time that we have this week. Holy... Wow. We covered... How to recycle coffee pods? We covered some really amazing stuff. This yes. feels like the end of like Romper Room, where I'm just like
1: <laughs> cleaning. As I see,
0: I see Marshman. I see Ameridroid, I see the Foo and Noman Five.
1: I love the smell of coffee. Yeah, it smells Mm. so
0: good. Uh, But as I say, that's all the time that we have this week. Folks, next week I'm really, really excited because our patrons and supporters came together and helped us to be able to replace the broadcast server that we use here at Category 5 TV. And with that, now I actually filmed the process of putting it together. I've got to condense that down into a one-hour special, and that's happening next week. So if you want to see how that came together, the parts that went into it, the decisions that were made, and we're going to discuss it as well. We're going to find out all about the new broadcast rig here at Category 5 Technology TV. That is next week. But uh, for this week, hey, we're on Twitter. Follow us at Category 5 TV. I'm personally on Twitter at Robbie Ferguson. And don't forget to like and subscribe uh, to us on YouTube and every other platform that we exist on. Please seek us out on every platform. Like us. Subscribe to us. And give us the thumbs up. Do it. Do it now. That would mean the world to us. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) great having you here folks take care bye